0: is the spiritual coaching dashboard. Our mission is to train those who give spiritual counsel to others. Whatever your skill level, we offer accessible and practical advice to those whose life or work frequently leads them to spiritual conversations. Our goal is to foster a growing relational connection with and loyalty to the God of the Bible. We help people choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights on the dashboard of their lives. Our passion comes from the belief that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully.
1: Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. Wherever you are on the globe, Nancy and I are honored to have you aboard. Speaking of Nancy, my beautiful bride is in the studio with me today.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you, honey. And hello, everyone. If you're interested in going back and listening to any of the three previous seasons, it would be helpful to begin with the first episode of season one. Each podcast is a standalone topical treatment, but they are episodic. So listening out of order will leave you without some necessary foundational content.
1: Our intention with this podcast is to keep the explanation simple and relatable, and for the most part, avoid the clinical and theological terminology. So what I did is I swapped that out for modern and easily recognizable metaphors to explain spiritual and biblical ideas, as well as coaching techniques and and approaches. Now that doesn't mean that our content is overly simplistic or or dumbed down or, or, or unhelpful to those who are further down the road, just that it's accessible and immensely usable. No matter your familiarity with the subject, you will be able to follow along at whatever level of experience and discover new ways to talk to others about spiritual subjects.
0: Yes, and as we enter this fourth season, we will begin to offer true standalone episodes, tackling both new content as well as returning to subjects we already addressed but feel deserve greater attention.
1: Yes, and, and it's important that uh, I make a clarification. You understand my use of some terminology. Uh, uh, in all of these podcasts, you you know, I mentioned spiritual maturity and spiritual growth and those things consistently. Some people, when they hear those terms, especially if they've gone to church all their lives, might be tended to think about attending classes or amassing uh intellectual understanding. And and that's not what I mean when I talk about spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. I'm talking about first-person, hands-on, experiential knowledge of God. Spiritual maturity is knowing Him. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And that's what I mean when I talk about spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. If the relationship is strong and growing, everything else that's necessary to life as a follower of Jesus Christ will flow from that.
0: In fact, we want you to know that we named the podcast, The Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, because just like the dashboard in your car, there are warning lights in our lives. They indicate to us that we need to do some heart work with God in order to step into our full potential. We need someone more qualified and experienced to do spiritual wrenching on our souls in order to improve our performance. Our dream for you is that you would unlock your potential through a heart healthy enough to know God deeply and follow Him fully, and then to pass your experience on to others. Now, without further delay, here is today's content.
1: All right, our subject for today's podcast is God does not hate divorce as much as He hates dot, dot, dot. Uh, actually, God does not hate all divorce. So I would like you to imagine with me that every day you wake up trapped in a marriage relationship that allows you little or no human rights. Limited freedom to make decisions for yourself, to move about as you like, to make friends and have conversations as you please, to spend money on necessities without being scrutinized, unending questions about your whereabouts. Uh, Imagine constant surveillance and manipulation with fear and emotional abuse and cruelty and degrading name-calling, completely fabricated and unfounded accusations, often of marital unfaithfulness of one sort or another, and only lightly veiled. Uh, disappointment and judgment and condemnation and threat by someone who is sane and kind one minute, the, the person you remember falling in love with, and full-on crazy the next minute. One minute threatening you and then the next threatening to harm himself or themselves to to keep you imprisoned in the relationship. Imagine the confusion this would cause and the internal turmoil that you would live with. Imagine living every day with some or all of that con finding surveillance and cruelty and unpredictability, and all without any means of escape. Your phone's GPS is used to monitor your every move, your social media accounts are trolled to track every conversation and relationship, and you are texted or called incessantly throughout the day, smothered by an oppressive, fearful, manipulative, untrusting, controlling conspiracy theorist. Imagine that this has been your life for years or even decades. Now, if that sounds like something experienced only in a communistic third world country, I assure you it is not. It is the actual description of life in a marriage to an abusive spouse. It is usually, but not always, the experience of a woman with an abusive husband. I have never lived under the thumb of communism or with an abusive spouse, for that matter. But I have heard my share of stories from women who, who, who are living in that or, or have uh, lived that way. Uh, and have far too much experience with life, uh, essentially as a domestic slave in the worst of prisons. Uh, I wrote that opening descriptive paragraph based on those real, live conversations. All of it describes actual situations people have lived with and told me about. Um, very real accounts. It... it And and, and they paint a a picture of what it's like to to live with domestic violence. Many women, sometimes men, rarely, but sometimes men, live just like that. And many more victims live under similar oppression and fear, but to lesser degree than than all of that that I just laid out for you. Um, Let's add one more scenario, one more aspect to uh, that description that's going to make it all that much worse. Imagine also that both you and your abusive spouse are profession Christians who regularly attend church and volunteer your time and money there. Your spouse may even be a respected entity or even a leader there. How can that be? Well, the, the abusive partner is a completely different person at church than they are at home, or in most public settings for that matter. They are friendly, kind, understanding, respectful, and respected if not loved in return no one but you would imagine that they are who they are when they're at home and out of sight. In fact, the abuser is so duplicitous and smooth that people at your church, including the counselors and and leadership, they refuse to believe you when you tell your story and attempt to get help. Yeah, it's that real and can be that bad, that unbelievable, that frustrating. More on that later. Well, this episode and the two that follow will be helpful for anyone who can relate to the abusive scenario that I've laid out there on some level, with or without the church part of it. Uh, this is primarily written for from the perspective of those who grew up around church. But even if you did not, all you have to do is substitute another environment every time I mention the church to find useful similarities. Maybe instead of church, it is your circle of friends, usually their friends and not yours, or, or family who are deceived and unbelieving when you describe how you're living. Uh, my conclusion should help you make healthy choices no matter the environment you are trapped in, whether it includes church or not. Oh, oh, and and primarily from the perspective of a woman who's trapped in DV by her husband. I'm going to say DV for domestic violence. Um, we're going to take this from the perspective of a woman who's trapped in DV by her husband. So that's, that's the way we're going to approach it because that is... I don't know what the what the percentages are, but that is how it usually is. In fact, I can't remember of all the people I've talked to uh, ever having a a husband come in and describe what I just described to you um, in a situation where the wife is the abuser. I know it happens, but it is rare. So in order to keep our, our you know the communication easier, but also. Uh, um, because this is exclusively, almost exclusively the experience of women, especially in a church uh, who are imprisoned and abused by their husbands, we are going to take it from that perspective. The woman is the one who is um, abused, and the husband is the one who is the abuser. So that's the perspective we're going to choose to uh, to just make this a little simpler and to relate to it with the larger, the largest audience. And also to help you, those of you that might be... Uh, um, I, some sort of counselor and listening to this for help and advice in, in, in your practice, uh, that's going to be the, the the majority of the situation is going to be uh, as I've described. Our subject is, and let's make, clarify this as well, it's not really domestic violence, not directly, but what God expects of someone uh, uh, who is trapped in it, okay? Okay. So we're going to talk a lot about domestic violence. It should help you, what I've already said, but uh, more that I say, should help you uh, understand domestic violence and, and be able to identify it more easily. But that's not our primary purpose in these three episodes. It is to just see what God would expect of someone who is trapped in that way. If you are familiar with the church, there's a good chance that you're aware of the stigma that still often exists there, especially for un, uh, and unequally for women, around the subject of divorce. Which is why we're we're addressing that as well, so that you can be able to have a conversation with someone that ha- has experienced this. So, a woman <laughs> who's had this experience. A divorced woman is, is like a leper in a lot of churches. A divorced man, not so much. While I believe it's slowly changing... For a woman caught in an abusive marriage, there is often not much she can do to break free. The the response she heard in the past and often still hears from the church today is, God hates divorce. Go back home and submit to your husband. Or maybe, well, there are only two viable, biblically permitted causes for divorce, right? Adultery and desertion, right? The first one, adultery, Matthew 19, 3 through 9, and desertion, 1 Corinthians 7, 15, that latter one we're going to come back to. As I said above, it gets worse. If the guy was like many abusers, he had groomed the whole community he lives in in order to gain their acceptance. He's probably a stand-up dude outside the home or is liked and respected in the church. This is because he is a completely different person in public than he is at home, which is why no one in the church believes her, regardless of how horrific her story is. He has almost always believed over her. There is usually not even any sort of investigation by the church for the sake of protecting the wife. This is an unforgivable stain on the church that should never have been, and I am speaking to that this morning. I'm speaking to that that stain. And and In fact, if you ever find yourself in the situation, you do what I'm going to do right now, and you apologize to every woman who has been... um, I was gonna say it this way, abuse on top of abuse. They're living in a domestic violence circumstance. And when they went to the church, probably talked to a man, they they had to endure more abuse by being unbelieved and sent back to the circumstance that they're trying to escape. So I apologize, as 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 I'm gonna suggest you do too. I apologize to every woman out there who has ever Lived with that. I do that as a pastor and a leader in the church for almost four decades now. I'm very sorry, and this is my attempt to try to to straighten some things out and make a, make an argument for a different way of proceeding as a counselor. Uh, why has this circumstance that I just described? Why is it the case? Now, well, I think that's in part due to the power of the blunt and apparently simple statement that we find in uh, Malachi I'll read it in a minute. God hates divorce. There seems to be no way to interpret this that would permit divorce to still be allowed. It, it seems so much so that even a, a temporary separation was and still is often highly discouraged because it is viewed as a step towards divorce and, and it's one that's hard to reverse. And if God hates divorce, then we do not want to do anything that has even the hint of divorce in it, right? Well, if we put this... Off-repeated statement back into just a little of its original context, we quickly see that everything is not as obvious as it first appears, Uh, and maybe that someone somewhere has flat out lied. Here's Malachi two fifteen through sixteen from the New Living Translation. Did the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are you are His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to your wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. I'm going to read this again from another uh, uh, modern translation. This is from the, the New International Version, the NIV. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit, they are his. And, and, and why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. And then one more, just verse, just one verse from the New American Standard 95. Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. All right, so that is from those three versions, New Living, New International, and the New American Standard. Respectfully, I feel we should begin with the most obvious observation. If you are listening to this, you probably already picked up on the fact that the phrase "I hate divorce," it was not originally spoken to a woman. Not any more than it was command for her to stay with or remain faithful to her husband. Those words of warning were pronounced against a man who wanted to leave the marriage. It was a call for men. To remain loyally protective of their wives and not break faith, not betray, be disloyal, untrue, treacherous, or deceitful, to not break a promise or vow that he's made with her. It was addressed not to a woman to make her, you know, feel she had to go back into a dangerous situation, but to the man who was causing a, a dangerous situation. Why does God hate divorce? Because it overwhelmed the woman with cruelty. Hmm, how did that become a prison for abused wives? It is not really even a statement about divorce, not directly. What it is, is a statement about how a man should treat a woman, not how a woman should treat a man. To say, imply, or employ it, as if it is a frustrated directive on God's part to, you know, evil women who who want to free themselves from their husband for no good reason other than rebellion and sexual freedom, or whatever it is, is to rip it directly out of its context and do some degree of violence to both its original meaning and God's intention. Well, God is saying that he hates it when a husband is unfaithful to their wives by breaking their marital promises. And he especially hates it when it leaves someone who is defenseless, a woman primarily, but potentially children, well... It leaves them optionless, endangered, and exposed. Now, whatever you think about it as uh, you judge it from within our modern, sophisticated society, this was a culture, when this was written, it was a culture where men and women had very different and distinct roles. Uh, Though it is considered demeaning today, in, um, in that world, Real men protected and took care of their women. A married woman was respected, but not in the same way as a man was, or in the same way that we have come to respect a woman's strength. In that culture, a divorced woman was somewhat below a man, and maybe even, I'm sorry, ladies, but maybe even below certain valued animals. Despicable, I know. But that was the modern way, then, in most cultures. A divorced or a single woman it was not to be that way, in um, among God's people. By the way, uh, a divorced or single woman was viewed with little deference in that culture. Uh, she was even a bit of an outcast if she was divorced. She did not have the options she has today. Uh, without home or a man to provide, protect, and give status, she was forced to do whatever she could to survive. And there are always brutal men, regardless of culture, or if ancient or modern, who will imprison a woman in that lifestyle by paying her for sex and seclusion while disdainfully spitting in her direction in public. To send a woman off into that life, particularly for no good, justifiable, deserved reason, was not just unkind or mean to a woman. It was downright and deliberately cruel. What God hates is cruelty to women. In fact, let me go back to the title and say, God does not hate divorce as much as he hates a man being cruel to a woman.
0: Let's take a short break so you can rest your brain. You've been used to a new episode each week as we work through our first three seasons. As we move into season four, the episodes will drop less frequently, but at least once a month. Whatever the reason, and from wherever you are listening, we are so glad you have come along for the ride. That is why we are excited to invite you to help us determine some of our future content. At the close of this episode, we will tell you how you can send your questions, ideas for topics, and suggested book reviews. If this podcast is helpful, we ask that you take a moment to rate, follow, and share it on whatever platform you use to stream content so that others can find us too. All right, let's finish today's episode of this podcast.
1: While it was in the past a vicious act of malice for a man to divorce his wife for no defensible reason, in our culture it may not be quite the same today. All too frequently, however, it is just about as cruel today to our shame as it was then. Um, Often she is left without a job, or at least without a good one. She's left with no credit, no car, no home, and very much exposed to all manner of danger particularly nasty if done for no reason other than I don't love her anymore. Still, when it comes to something like domestic violence and abuse, it is usually the only way she may have any hope of escape in reality, uh, of escape in safety. Divorce might be, even though it's not a good choice, even still today, um, it may be the least worst choice for a woman who is trapped in domestic violence. Divorce today does not necessarily leave the woman completely helpless, so it's not always the cruel and inhumane act that it was then. And and Indeed, for one in a a position of respect, counsel, and authority, to advise her to, to get out of that house, whatever it takes, a little distance, separation, maybe even divorce, it may be the most kind, caring, and merciful act you could possibly do for her. I will say it again for someone like myself who gives spiritual advice in a church setting, telling a woman to get safe, to get help, and get a divorce after all other options are exhausted, or before, if she is in real danger, is an act of kindness like no other. One that supports and agrees with the loving and caring and protective heart of God that is revealed to us in that passage from Micah chapter 2. So let's review a little bit here. Um the I hate divorce declaration was not directed by God at women. It was against men who, who covered her cruelty as they covered their bodies with you know with their clothes. Uh, when they divorced the wife of their youth. They hid their, their cruelty behind the divorce. And so doing they also covered themselves with guilt and, uh, and and the sentence of cruelty as with their clothes. The men were charged with guarding their heart or spirit against selfishness, uh, selfishness, um, brutality, and, and unfaithfulness to the wife they loved and married in their youth. By implication, that means uh, before she had kids, gained a little weight, few stretch marks and her ankles, had, had, and before she had little time to primp and proper herself and her looks, and before she was so tired at the end of the day that she had little energy left for intimacy with him. Protect that vow. Stand by it, men. I will take it a step further and say that using God's word in Malachi today against a woman, sending her back home and back to the danger she is attempting to escape is cruelty. It's cruelty on top of cruelty. The first cruelty is domestic violence. The second cruelty is sending her back to it. It is the very thing that God was denouncing. It's the very thing God wanted to stop. You can't send her back there. He was not so much against divorce in this passage as he was against husbands and the ruthless way they were treating their wives. When a woman hears the insensitive and uninformed, God hates divorce from a leader or respected advisor in the church, you can bet she heard it from a man. As a guy myself, I'm not bashing masculinity. They're often roughed and jagged male spirit. We have enough of that in our culture today. Nor am I denying the fact that men and women are, are different by design. What I'm doing is standing up for a woman's right to protect herself from a cruel and violent man by doing whatever she can to escape an abusive marriage. Now, uh, real quickly here, let's uh, let's talk about you know what constitutes cruel. Um, and, you know, we can throw in cruel, abusive, and even domestic violence. What is domestic violence? Again, uh, the truth may be slightly different than you expected, just as it was when we finally read the Malachi passage. For example, the term violence in domestic violence is often viewed narrowly ...as physical aggression or bodily harm. But I promise you that violent includes much more than actual physical attack. You do not have to take my word for it. Here's a description from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, violence which, by the way, mirrors other professional statements that come from differing entities speaking on the same subject. So this will answer the question of what is cruel and abusive as well, simply by de- de- defining domestic violence. Uh, DV is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abusive behavior as part of a systemic pattern of power and control perpetuated by um, one intimate partner against another. Now, it includes physical violence, sexual violence, psychological violence, and emotional abuse. The frequency and severity of domestic violence can be dramatic. Can, be, can vary dramatically. However, the one constant component of domestic violence is one partner's consistent effort to maintain power and control over the other. Did you hear the re- the, the last part of that? That is, in essence, um, the issue with uh, um, class and race as well. The one constant component Component of domestic violence is one partner's consistent effort to maintain power and control over the other. Uh, if you if you go to uh, the place where or, uh, to my blog site where I post these scripts, you will find some um, uh, what am I saying <laughs> websites where you can go and read more about what d- domestic violence is. That blog site, I'll give it again at the end, but that blog site is Two Rivers Church slash Brave the Rapids. I think the domestic violence or DV term is both accurate and unfortunate. The connotation of the second half, you know, violence, is confusing and often twisted by the by the abuser to defend themselves. I swear to God, I never laid a finger on her or even raised my hand against her. See what I mean? At the center of all marital abuse, whether it is a man or a woman who is the perpetrator, is the desire and need to to have and exert and exercise power and control over their partner. Um, Clearly that can, and, and usually fear is involved in there, fear of losing them and other things. Clearly that can be accomplished with much more sophisticated, clever, and manipulative methods than physical assault and the threat of bodily harm. You know the old saying, sticks and tones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know that's a load of rubbish. The implication of this idiom is that words cannot do harm, or physical harm. That may be directly true, but how many suicides are the result of verbal bullying? Cruel words lead to much harm, maybe even indirectly to physical harm, especially if the exposure is constant and prolonged. Just because you never... Uh, laid a finger on her, or raised your hand to her, it doesn't mean you didn't even do physical harm with your words, one way or another. But you certainly did other harm. When we apply domestic violence to the subject of divorce, vis-a-vis the case of a woman who is seeking protection from an abusive husband, the implications are wider rather than narrower. Much more than physical safety is at stake. Her sanity and her spirit and inner well-being are under attack. And I will tell you, women in this situation can become so desperate for help, for someone to listen and take their fears seriously, that they genuinely consider letting their husband physically attack them. In domestic violence, the woman often knows how to keep the peace and how not to. They've learned, for their own safety... They know pretty well how to stay safe and how not to. And they may consider provoking a physical attack just so they can get help from people who do not get how destructive, demoralizing, intimidating, cruel, aggressive, fearful, and shame-inducing um, domestic violence is, especially that is not, of, that is not physical in nature. It is a calculated risk they're willing to take because of the agony and constant and frustrating control and manipulation. He makes everything their fault and uses I-will-kill-myself threats to gain compliance. He uses uh, warped reasoning and, and, and twists their words. It's, it's all just gets to be too much. These women reason that if he kills them in their effort to get some, someone to listen, to, to believe them, That will at least put an end to the torture. And it also means they will not have to carry the fear of potential guilt should he take his own life when they attempt to get some help. Unless you've been in it, you really cannot understand how domestic violence degrades both soul and life, often making it feel like it is not worth living. I am sure that I do not, and that my attempt at describing it falls short, I do not understand, and that my attempt at describing it falls uh, short on some... (laughs) falls short on some accounts. But I've heard enough stories to describe it to some degree, even at that. The suffering and and, and desperation can only be known from within it. All right, on the next episode of the Spirit Coaching Dashboard, we will unpack a higher law that God set in place that makes divorce not just necessary, but His will uh, for endangered women.
0: listening to this episode. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, do not waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how God would have you work the new thought into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been. We firmly believe that God will exchange the wounding of the past for the wellness of the future. A transformation that frees us to be wholeheartedly available to Him and those near us. As we walk into that healing, we gain the humble confidence and godly credibility needed to step unrestricted into the life and impact God has for us. And when we experience that for ourselves, it gives us a compelling story from which to call others to experience the same. We pray that God uses the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode of our podcast, here is promised is the contact information. The email address is Carrie at tworivers.church or text at SC Dashboard from the social media platform of your choice. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard.